Today's reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 2, and we start to read at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we rejoice that no power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck us from your hand. That here in the love and the power of Jesus, we stand. And we pray to know that truth now, to know the love for a fallen world that embraces even us, the power of the gospel to change our hearts, to bring us to Jesus, and to offer our lives in service to him. Oh Lord God, be glorified amongst us today, we pray, in your word and in our lives, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, do please be seated. Uh, my apologies uh, to those of you who like to know what's coming. Uh, I tried to cover the verses in 1 John that David read for us this morning in the uh, sermon before half term. We've had our, our two all age services. God is light. God is love uh, over half term. We're going back now uh, to working our way through John's first epistle. Uh, and I really tried to see if I could uh, do the bit I missed before half term and the next bit. And I just couldn't, at least not within the constraints of a shortened COVID service. Maybe if we'd been here until lunchtime, I could have done that. But I found I could only do three verses. So uh, if you've got a device or a Bible, uh, do open them to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And we'll work out the program uh, after this week uh, beyond this point because there's enough here, uh, particularly in the direction I want to go with it, uh, to occupy us for a fruitful morning. I wonder when you heard those words that David read for us at the beginning of our reading. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I wonder if when you heard those words, if you are someone who's read some of the Bible and you're following Christ and you do as we always should when we read the scriptures and comparing one text with another, I wonder if you went in your mind's eye, and perhaps with the sound of the clashing of gears, to this verse, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, it seems, doesn't there, that there's a real contradiction here. John says to the Christians he's writing to, do not love the world or anything in the world. And yet in his gospel, he has taught us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, and so on. So what is going on here? Well, I think even on a human level, we have to grant that John as an author is not so foolish 
uh, as to write two sentences which are genuinely contradictory to one another. So what I want to do with you this morning, uh, by way of encouragement, is to show you how these are both true at the same time. You know, in the 30 or more years I've been a Christian, uh, I've discovered this again and again. I'll read a verse in one place, and it seems to be in tension with one somewhere else. And then I dig a little bit deeper about the meaning of the first, and dig a little bit deeper about the meaning of the second, and suddenly find that they are in perfect harmony with each other. Again and again, uh, any person who has been following Christ and reading the scriptures for any length of time, that will be our testimony. It doesn't mean we've resolved every difficulty in reading the Bible. It doesn't mean there aren't some living questions still uh, there for us where we're scratching our heads and seeking the Lord. But actually there's one author in scripture and it's God himself by his Holy Spirit. Uh, And so not just John, of course, not contradicting himself, but the Spirit of God not contradicting himself, makes these two statements true. And it's so important that we see why and receive them both. God loves the world. We must not love the world. Why are those two things true at the same time? Or to put the question uh, like this, our salvation depends, you see, on both, on God loving the world and on our not loving the world. It's only as we grasp that that we shall actually abide in the love of the Father for us. We shall only know God's love for us as we receive his love for the world and as we reject love for the world ourselves. And the key to unpacking all this uh, is John's use of the word world. We hear the word world, and we think of it as a fairly neutral uh, concept. It's the great big terrestrial ball on which we're all spinning around, uh, even as we gather here. It's just our third rock from the sun, uh, which we call home. We tend to think of it in fairly impersonal terms. But when John uses the word world, he doesn't just mean this planet on which we all live and give thanks to God for giving us such a marvelous home on it. He means the world in the sense that it is the center of unbelief, the world characterizing the residence of the world, that is us. Because when Jesus Christ came into the world, John tells us this at the beginning of his gospel, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. That's the tragedy at the start of the gospel. The God who made us and who loves us, he comes in person and we did not receive him or recognize him. We disbelieved him and turned away from him. Or again, the world uh, is a place of evil. That is, we are evildoers. Remember Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is quite clear. You and I are evil in our hearts because we are instinctive rebels against God. This is the verdict. Jesus says, light has come into the world, but who are we? We are those who love darkness instead of light because our deeds are evil. There are no exceptions in these descriptions. And finally, the world is the place of hatred. Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he died, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
to the world. Uh, particularly in the way that John uses this, world, uh, this word is not a, a neutral description of our spinning planet. It, it is rather the place that is filled with human beings who do not believe God, who are evil in our hearts, and who hate God and who hate each other in our default setting. That's what the world is, because that's who we are who live on it. And when we understand that that's what the world is, then we realize that the gospel is the story of the most amazing grace, the most incredible love to people who had rejected and turned to their own ways and who were not neutral but full of hate towards their maker. God loved a world like that, locked in rebellion and rejection of him. Indeed, just following that famous John 3.16, John says this, or Jesus says this, uh, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You see, that is exactly what the world, what we deserve. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And as we read through uh, the scriptures, just focusing in on John uh, still at the moment, uh, as Jesus goes and the beginning of his ministry and he meets those in darkness and brings them into the light. Think of the, uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, a woman broken by sexual immorality and rejection by her peers. If ever there was a word for our contemporary society, the story of John 4 is it. And she is accepted by Jesus, washed clean by him as she receives him and trusts him. And then she goes and tells her story to her towns, uh, her fellow townsfolk. Uh, and their testimony is this. Now, they say, we don't believe just because of what you've told us. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. He's the savior of those who didn't believe and who were full of evil and hatred. He comes to rescue the world. And in our study in John's first letter, we've seen the same uh, thing, uh, both in terms of our study before half term and over the last two weeks. This is what John says in his letter. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, turns aside God's wrath. And we can see, can't we, how justified God's wrath is towards us who disbelieve and do evil and hate. Jesus comes to turn aside God's wrath, taking away our sins, and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I never say too quickly, for God so loved the world. It is an extraordinary statement of divine grace. And God loved us. He didn't love people who were sitting here waiting to be loved. No, rather he loved those who wanted nothing to do with him and who had charted our course in the opposite direction from where he was to be found. And if you've joined us recently, if you're not yet a Christian, if you're thinking about these things, perhaps for the first time or for the first time uh, deeply in your lives, this is a great place to begin, this famous verse of John 3.16. We've seen something of the amazing grace of that already because the world is in rebellion against God and it rightly is perishing. And outside of Christ, just as outside of Noah's Ark, beautifully illustrated for us outside our building at the moment, there is only death. 
There is only judgment. There is only wrath. God's grace reaches into a lost and rebellious world that is perishing with love, a love that gives his son, a son to die on the cross, that whoever believes. And when John says whoever, when Jesus says whoever, he really does mean whoever. There is no one watching this on our YouTube channel, no one in Hartford Parish, no one in this building, no one to the ends of the world who would be rejected by God if they would but receive this gift and come trusting in Jesus, confessing their sins and depending on him as their saviour. We know this man is the saviour of the world, said those townsfolk of the woman at the well. And we say the same, whoever believes will not perish. Whoever receives Jesus Christ as Lord and saviour will have life everlasting. That is life not only in its fullness in this world, but life beyond death, life that lasts forever. So if that is all true, then why must we not love the world as those who've come to be the beneficiaries of God's love for the world? Well, the key is in remembering what the world is for John. Uh, The world is the center of unbelief, evil, and hatred. Therefore, and now this makes perfect sense as we come to his letter and to the verses before us, do not love the world or anything in the world. That is, you who have come to know God's amazing grace for yourselves, how can you now embrace again unbelief and hatred and rebellion? That would be entirely uh, inconsistent with everything that faith is. John says we have known God's love and it's saved us and changed us. So we must not therefore now love those very things from which we have been delivered. And he warns in these verses that if we do try and hold together, God's forgiven me my sins, but I'm just going to go and live as I did before, make my own choices, indulge my desires. Well, he says you can't do that. You're either with God or without him. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. You're either walking in the light or walking in darkness. Don't tell me you're going to know God's forgiveness while still rejecting His call over you to surrender your life to him. It doesn't work that way. You who know how much God loves you, now you must love him. And that means you must not love the world. And if we do try and hold those two together, as it seems those false teachers troubling John's church were doing, as false teachers do in every age of the church, yes, you can have God's love and forgiveness. No, you don't need to change. It's a popular message in every generation. And John says, no, it's foolishness. If we do try and do that, well, then we will lose both the love and the life of God. For faith must lead to repentance. We will lose God's love. If anyone loves the world, that is, embraces its values and the rebellion against God that signifies, the love of the Father is not in him. That is, If you continue unchanged, you may use certain words, but really the love of God for you in Jesus has not captured your heart so that you are now wanting, however imperfectly and full of stumbling though it is, to love him in response. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
and try and play games with God. Or verse 17, uh, the world and its desires pass away. Uh, Those things which seem so permanent and stable because they're solid and we can touch them and accumulate them and depend on them and other people recognize them, they're all going to pass away. From time to time I've encouraged you to apply the hundred year test to anything you cherish in this life. What will it be worth in a hundred years time? Your favorite possession your most treasured relationship, that which you most set your heart upon. Of course, it will be gone, as all of us in this room will be. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. You see, this is John 3.16 again, isn't it? We receive Jesus, we trust in him, and we have, what? Eternal life. God's life in us, for us, forever. Don't play games with God. You know, he loves you wonderful. Well, now you must stop loving the world and love him instead, lest you lose both his love and the life that he gives you in Jesus. And what does it mean? Uh, What is this love for the world that we must turn away from? Well, verse 16 in our reading is where uh, John describes it. Uh, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. Or to use the old wording, which actually the latest NIV has gone back to, uh, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. So what is this love for the world that we must turn away from? It's three things, uh, John says. uh, The cravings of sinful man or the lust of the flesh. That is the world inside us, the old man, uh, as the apostle Paul uh, calls it. Do you remember the Lord Jesus said this? uh, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual Immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And we receive Jesus Christ and he's our Lord. We have peace with God and war within. War that the Holy Spirit enables us to fight. Until our dying day and the work is completed and we, glow, and we are face to face with the Lord. We'll see that in chapter 3 of John's letter. Until that day, we're at war within. Because the world is right here beating inside my chest and right here between my ears in my brain. It's the inward temptation uh, that I feel every day. And that's why every day. Weak man as I am, I come before the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, because I gave in to some of those temptations. And I need your forgiveness. And I need the fresh start that only Jesus can give me. But we do not make peace with the temptations. We do not acquiesce when they come and make war on our souls. No, there is a craving uh, of the flesh. There is the desire for that which is ungodly, which is right here inside me and inside all of you as well. And we do not surrender to it 
even as we always need to cry forgiveness for it. There is the lust of the eyes or the world around us. Jesus said this, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Here John is talking, as the Lord Jesus is talking, of those temptations that assault us from outside of ourselves. What the Ten Commandments call the covetousness. That is, we look at something that our neighbor has, his wife, his car, his job, his better behaved children, whatever it may be, and we instantly want it for ourselves. That's the lust of the eyes. The temptation to have what those around us who despise God but seem to have better lives. And they want what they've got. This is the wanting that the world puts in front of us every time we open our eyes, every time we turn on the television, every time we go out to work or to the supermarket. It's the desires for other things that are ungodly and that God has not given to us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and finally uh, what John calls the the pride of life, literally, or the boasting of what he has uh, and does. And this is the world we accumulate. This is the the life uh, in Jesus' parable of the uh, the seeds. Uh, It's the same word uh, used uh, for that life which chokes the seed that is growing among the thorns. It's also the same word as the everything. If you remember the story in Luke 21 that the poor widow puts into the collection, all of her life she puts in. She shows the difference of one who receives from God the things of this world and then uses them for his glory. Just as the seed choked by the thorns shows what happens when our possessions possess us. And we believe in our hearts that really we are defined by all that we have accumulated, whether in wealth or whether in prestige or position. John uses the same word very practically in the very next chapter, John John 3 verse 17. If anyone has material possessions, it's the same word of, of life. Uh, signifying what he has. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? How can we accumulate? How can we desire the praise of others and still know the love of God? We can't, John says. We must forsake the pride of life. Jesus said it most pithily of all. You cannot serve both God and money. And strikingly, he said that to the religious conservatives of his day who wanted orthodoxy with material abundance. And for him, the very notion of generosity was anathema. Let us be warned. So, do we know, want to know God's love for us? Wonderful. Come to Jesus. Believe in him, and you will not perish, but have life everlasting. Have you come and believed in him? Well, then now you must no longer love the world. This is the daily battle of repentance against uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But I want to end on a positive uh, note, just very briefly. Is there any sense in which we should love 
the world. Well, I hope I've made the point, or John has made the point, uh, that no, if, if by that we mean sharing in its self-serving unbelief, uh, evil and hatred. But yes, in this sense, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And in that sense, we must love the world. How could we do other? We have the greatest gift the world has ever been given. And it's in our hands, quite literally in our hands. And it's in our hearts. And we must be those, therefore, who bear this word of the gospel of the love of God for a world that is perishing. And as we carry that gospel, surely our lives must be adorned by the shape that the gospel has begun to make on us. God loves me when I hated him, therefore I must love those who hate me. God forgave me when I had sinned against him, and I still sin against him, therefore I must be the most forgiving person, not just in the church family, but in my natural family, in my community. God has shown me what is good. Surely I must stand, not against the world in judgment, because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's not for me to condemn the world for its ungodly choices. No, it is rather for me and for us who are renewed by the gospel of grace to go into the world as those who are full of love. That means self-sacrificial service, towards those who reject it and who do not deserve it. It means forgiving those who are unforgivable. It means working for the good of this world that God has made and so loves, even though there are so many who destroy it. And to put positively what John warns us against negatively, how do we do that? We do that with the Spirit's work in us, uh, battling against the lust of the flesh and producing in us his marvelous fruit, using our bodies not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. As we open our eyes, we see not others who have a better life than us, and we want that, and why isn't our life better? No, we see the lost and the needy. We see the opportunities to bring glory to God as we share Christ and serve them in his name. And has God given us worldly possessions? Well, we know what to do with them. Give them away. We accumulate them. Where will they be in a hundred years' time? Perished. Where will we be in a hundred years' time? Perished with them. But let let the Spirit of God set us free in that, that we don't take pride in our acquisitions, but rather use them for the good of others. And then we will know liberty, and we will know the life of God. Then we will see the grace of God flowing from here to the ends of the earth. Shall we pray? Whom have I in heaven But you, says the psalmist, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Father, please make that our prayer. Please would you bring us to your son that we might know forgiveness and eternal life in him. And please would you then change us, deliver us from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That we may be those who do your will, who abide in your love both in this world and the next. 
For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.